You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sarah Vaughn. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, July 20th, 2020. A neutral and detached judge reviewed the probable cause affidavit and determined that indeed there was probable cause to believe Purdy said, get a noose. Later in the program, we hear from attorney Catherine Lyle and Vox Booker on the two men charged for pinning Booker to a tree and threatening to, quote, get a noose. More on that in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, a few minutes with the mayor. In today's segment, Assistant News Director Sydney Foreman talks to Mayor John Hamilton about the mandatory mask mandate in Monroe County. But first, your local headlines. Six hundred and fifty three new cases of COVID-19 were reported in Indiana on Sunday, according to the Indiana State Department of Health. ISDH also attributed one new death to COVID-19. Locally, Monroe County saw 14 new confirmed cases yesterday, while Lawrence and Brown counties saw one and three new reported cases, respectively. County Health Administrator Penny Caudell said the OptumServe COVID-19 testing site will run through August during a July 17th COVID-19 press conference. She said the new county health order included a mask mandate, which began on July 17th. However, there are some exceptions. Certainly children under two are exempt. Individuals with hearing or speaking impairments uh, where a face covering would be an obstacle. Uh, If they have a physical, uh, medical, or health-related reason that's documented. Uh, If they're in their physician's office or there's a reason uh, based for their healthcare provider that they would need to remove that. Um, And I'm just going to, there are a few others I wanted to note. Individuals who are engaged in a form of indoor exercise that is incompatible with wearing a face covering, such as swimming. Individuals who are seated at a restaurant or bar or other establishment that serves food or drink. However, individuals that are entering or exiting restaurants or bars congregating in areas throughout that facility would need to put their face covering on. Individuals who are engaged in outdoor physical exercise, including running, jogging, walking, bicycling, or swimming, if they're in groups of less than 25, would be exempt. Caudell said all businesses must ensure customer compliance with the mandate. She said beginning July 31st, residential or non-commercial gathering events will be limited to 50 people. She said commercial gatherings would be limited to 100 people indoors or 150 outside. Caudell said bars cannot use bar top services and all dine-in locations must space customer parties six feet apart. One of the reasons for the July 31st um, time frame for businesses and those gatherings. Um, Certainly people can, if they are able to put those um, requirements in place early, if they they've already been doing that, then they're, they're good to go. And they're, they're fine. We're, we're grateful for that, but we want to ensure that businesses don't have to close in order to meet that. We want to give them time to prepare 
and make arrangements to meet those guidelines. And we felt like it was only fair to give them the opportunity to have time to make those arrangements. Caudell said an online complaint process will be developed to bring attention to any organizations not in compliance with the order. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said the local case numbers and hospitalizations are rising. He said the city of Bloomington plans to implement all sections of the new health order before July 31st. Inside the city limits, um, I do intend on Monday to release an order uh, under city authorities that will put those specific restrictions that Ms. Cottle outlined for July 31st, uh, covering bars and restaurants uh, and, and nightclubs, as well as covering the social gatherings, uh, both commercial and private. Um, moving that date inside the city from the 31st to the no later than the 23rd, next Thursday. Um, that gives us a little more protection to make sure we don't have uh, super spreader events. And then by the 31st, of course, that will roll uh, right into the, the county order, which will go into effect uh, countywide on the 31st. President of Indiana University Health, Brian Shockney, said from July 6th to July 13th, the IU Health Hospital tripled its five COVID-19 patients. He said pending cases also increased. Emergency Management Director Allison Moore listed locations where Monroe County residents can get face coverings. They are the Board of Commissioner's Office, the Emergency Management of Monroe County's Office, and the Monroe County Health Department. The fire departments that are available, that will, will have these available, are... Um, Bean Blossom, Station 6 in Steinsville, Benton, Station 14, Bloomington City, Stations 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, Northern Monroe Fire, um, Station 25, Ellettsville, Station 71, Monroe Fire District, Station 22, and Van Buren Fire, Station 29. We also have mass available at many of our township trustees offices and those offices that were willing to provide masks for our residents are Bean Blossom, Benton, Clear Creek, Perry, Richland, Salt Creek, and Van Buren. Moore said an appointment can be made to collect the face coverings by a phone call appointment between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. at each location. She said phone numbers can be found online at co.monroe.in.us. A Bloomington Transit employee tested positive for COVID-19. The positive test means at least six city employees contracted novel coronavirus. The employee works in bus maintenance and received a positive test last Wednesday. According to a city press release, the employee felt symptoms on Sunday, July 12th, and has not worked since Saturday, July 11th. The city said it plans to conduct internal contact tracing, quote, in accordance with CDC guidelines and has determined no other employees were placed at risk of exposure, end quote. The employee was placed on paid leave for two weeks after the positive diagnosis. On Friday, the Monroe County Health Department issued a public health order requiring all county residents to wear a mask in public spaces. Alice J. Wolfson, a local resident, said Bloomington Transit did not enforce the mask mandate in an incident over the weekend. In a Facebook post, Wolfson said she went to the farmer's market and took the bus home. She reported to the bus driver that one passenger was not wearing a mask. 
Wolfson said in her post, quote, I asked the driver why he allowed this. He told me he wasn't the mask police and that I could get off if I didn't like it, end quote. In the mask mandate, the county health department said businesses and public accommodations are subject to, quote, enforcement action if they didn't comply with the order. However, it is not clear in the health order who would enforce the mask mandate. Alice Wolfson said she reported the incident to customer service and the county health department. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton held a Facebook Live address titled Recover Forward on July 16th. In his address, he spoke about how Bloomington will move forward to create a new normal life. Our pandemic response began with a sprint, which we have run well, and now has become a marathon. And let's be clear, recover forward, recovering the right way is not a return to some pre-pandemic normal. It is recovering into a community consistent with our values. Hamilton said among COVID-19, structural reform is also needed to fight racial injustice. He said the city is working to review local police policies. Our five-resident Board of Public Safety is reviewing all police policies again, as in 2016, to assure they are consistent with our values and goals. Using the 21st Century Policing Report, 8 Can't Wait, Campaign Zero, and other guides. I have directed that review to be complete with a public report within 90 days. The review has already prompted changes, such as a clarified and strengthened duty to report misconduct among our officers. Other issues will be considered, such as investigatory stops and 911 protocols. Our budget for 2021 will propose significant changes in the police department, including reductions in funding of badged officer positions and increases in non-badged positions, building on our past successes with the hiring of neighborhood resource officers and social workers. We will continue to review other changes to recommend to city council and the community in the coming weeks. Hamilton said recovery will happen in three phases. Phase 1, taking immediate steps to recover in the remainder of 2020. Hamilton said he would ask the council to appropriate $2 million in three areas. $1 million to an equitable and sustainable recovery, half a million dollars in job growth and economic recovery, and half a million dollars in affordable housing recovery. He said stage 2 is to fashion an appropriate budget in 2021. We will import the recovery forward priorities into every part of the city budget, asking for another $2 million from surplus reserves to be invested in the same key areas. One, sustainable and equitable recovery with major investments for mobility, energy efficiency, local food, and the safety net. Two, jobs and economic recovery. And three, affordable housing recovery. In all of these efforts and throughout the 2021 budget, we will be working toward racial justice, climate justice, and economic justice, including reforms as previously mentioned in public safety and new investments in transportation demand management and non-auto infrastructure and a more equitable housing market, a stronger local food sector, and continued support for childcare and job opportunities for all. Hamilton said stage three was for 2022 and through the decade. He said additional revenue would be needed. Hamilton renewed his call to increase the local income tax for climate action and sustainability. Hamilton said, quote, The virus will kill our neighbors, so will climate change, end quote. 
he lowered his proposed tax raise. I suggested a half of 1% local income tax to raise $8 million per year for these critical investments in our future. After COVID and its challenges, and in light of economic pressures, I suggest we cut that in half to one quarter of 1% to fund the critical recover forward investments we will need throughout this decade to reflect our values. Hamilton said Bloomington is currently one of the lowest tax cities. He claimed investments in climate, racial, and economic justice would pay off. In a press conference on Friday, Fox Booker's attorney Catherine Lyle announced that Booker had tested positive for COVID-19. Lyle noted that he may have been infected when he was physically attacked at Lake Monroe. In video footage of the incident, the attackers are seen pinning Booker to a tree and yelling racist slurs at him. Witnesses say the attackers also intentionally spit on him. Booker and Lyle are both quarantining and monitoring for symptoms. Unfortunately, when Vox was attacked on July 4th in the woods by Lake Monroe, we discussed quickly the uh, need for him to have a COVID test as those suspects were spitting and yelling in his face, certainly within six feet. Vox had his COVID test on July 15th, and this morning while he was chairing the Bloomington Affordable Housing Commission, he received the news that indeed Vox Booker has COVID-19. So it is necessary to do this press conference by Zoom. I too have been exposed, so we are following CDC guidelines and we are quarantining ourselves and keeping a close check on symptoms. In her remarks, Lyle said that Sean Purdy, the man seen holding Booker against a tree, was charged with a felony count of intimidation because he called for someone to get a noose. The IDNR report and multiple news outlets, including the Herald Times, had brought doubt to whether Purdy actually called for a noose. However, Lyle noted a neutral judge reviewed the evidence and determined there was probable cause to believe that Purdy did in fact say, get a noose. I have a few comments to make about the charges against Jerry Cox and Sean Purdy. First of all, I would like to note that the intimidation charge, which was filed against Mr. Purdy, which is a level six felony, um, was based upon the evidence that Purdy said, get a noose. There had been some controversy before in which it was denied, but today we know that that is credible evidence. A neutral and detached judge reviewed the probable cause affidavit and determined that indeed there was probable cause to believe Purdy said, get a noose. And in doing so, he did it with the intent that Vox Booker be placed in fear that the threat would be carried out. Later in the press conference, Lyle also raised issues with the Indiana Department of Natural Resources investigation and report of the incident. She said that its investigation failed to interview Booker after the night of the attack and failed to assess his injuries. In interviews with WFHB, witnesses of the attacks said IDNR misrepresented the incident in its report. I don't trust the DNR. I don't trust that they would get it right. And I don't trust that they would fairly listen to what Vox Booker had to say. He interviewed with them on the night of July 4th. They didn't listen to him then. 
He interviewed with them on July 5th in the emergency room at the hospital. They didn't listen to him then either. There is simply no point to be subjected to a third interview by these same people who required a nurse to part, part Voxbooker's hair in order to see the clumps that had been pulled out of his head that DNR said they couldn't see on Saturday night, but by Sunday, it was clearly evident. And finally, one of the main points I wanna bring out about this probable cause affidavit submitted by the DNR to the Monroe County Prosecutor's Office is the total whitewashing of all evidence of racism. Why isn't it included in the PC affidavit that Box Booker said immediately that man was wearing a Confederate flag hat. Later, Sean Purdy admitted that he was wearing a Confederate flag hat. Why is that not in the probable cause affidavit? All the terrible racial epithets which were hurled against Box Booker, which we all saw on tape, not a single one of those epithets is in the probable cause affidavit. Vox Booker said he is calling for accountability for his attackers. He said he wants justice, not vengeance. We all have problematic aspects within ourselves. We all walk in tandem with systems of oppression. And really the work of justice is to stop and be introspective and think about how uh, those systems manifest within us. Now that doesn't mean that everyone is going to go out and attack someone in the woods. But it means that we need to realize that we are all human and that this quest is for justice rather than vengeance. I want us to understand that accountability, which is what I'm asking for, is not the same as punishment. This is about justice. And part of that is going to be the need to move on to the federal level. Just stop being just about me and stop being about the nation uh, the moment I chose to speak out. Um, at the time, I did not understand the response that it would be met with. But now that I'm in the moment, I understand that I have a duty and an obligation to myself and, and to everyone uh, to make sure that justice is served. Booker said he wants the community to reflect how it will move forward. He also called on the local press to be an ally to activism and justice. I want us to think about where we want to go forward from this, how we're going to engage, um, especially those of you in the press. The press is a powerful tool for truth, and truth is always an ally to, to activism and to justice. Um, but I've seen some rather slanted accounts. I've seen some bias, whether it's referring to me as a black man rather than by a title or discounting me uh, excessively. Uh, I want us to continue to do better. I want us to continue to be mindful. And later this week, a special WFHB local news report on the IDNR's response to the Booker attack including interviews with multiple eyewitnesses.
Now it's time for a few minutes with the mayor, where listeners pose questions to Mayor John Hamilton. In today's segment, Mayor Hamilton talks with Sydney Foreman about the lack of a hate crimes law in Indiana, specifics on the county mask mandate, and why Bloomington police haven't used face coverings when dealing with the public. For more, we turn to WFHB Assistant News Director Sydney Foreman. Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. The first question today is from user Aaron Toby, and they say, As a small business owner, I welcome the mask mandate. What support can the service workers being asked to enforce the mandate expect from the city? I am glad, too, that we have a mask mandate in place now. I appreciate the county health department moving that way. I frankly wish the rest of the state and the rest of the country had that, but it's good we have it. It Kind of we think about the smoking ordinance and how that was put into place 10-plus years ago. And compliance comes as people know what's expected. And we certainly will work with uh, establishments, uh, owners, who, if they're having any trouble, with a customer uh in the end it is your property and you can tell people the rules for uh, showing up on your property and if they don't obey them it can be a trespass uh, which can be involved but i'm confident and i think the vast majority of people will understand this is based on science and health and we're just trying to protect our community and the people in our community and our economics in our community and but if people need help they can reach out to the health department or they can reach out to my office and and uh, we certainly want to help people make sure there is compliance because it's it's very important and the next question is from facebook user joe and they're asking why doesn't bpd wear masks when dealing with the public i have seen traffic stops and uniformed police in restaurants without masks we will be reviewing that there's there are definitely some concerns about law enforcement officers being masked and how it can be perceived uh, by people. They've definitely changed their protocols uh, to virtually eliminate interactions with the public closer than six feet uh, to the fullest extent that they can. Our police have thus far, we haven't had any cases and that's, that's been very good. Uh, Their appearance is important to people. Uh, We don't want people to be, uh, nervous, uh, but we'll be continuing to look at that. We've had a mask policy in place for our employees for quite a few weeks requiring it, and we did exempt and let have their own policies, the police department and the fire department, just because their work conditions, the, the way they interact with the public and each other uh, can be unusual or different, I guess. We don't have uh, two officers riding in cars together, uh, so that helps us avoid uh, what can be a difficult situation. The police uh, have been very careful and will continue to be, but it's a good question and we're going to continue to review that. Are the police then opted out or they not have to follow the mask mandate that was created for the county as a whole? No, they're they're subject to that. And so when they're indoors and when they can't distance six feet, they, they will be expected to wear masks. But there is some kind of general understanding that the law enforcement role needs some um, particular tailoring, I guess, or exemptions or but they're not exempted from the the overall mask order. Okay. And so the next question is from Brendan. He's asking, why didn't we require masks before COVID cases spiked in Bloomington? It's a good question why we didn't do masks earlier. I've been calling for it for a number of weeks. I am glad our county health department has, over the last several months, 
been uh, more careful and prudent than the state uh, momentum. I think that served our county well. We're now only one of a few places in Indiana with a mandatory mask order, and I think that's a good thing. Maybe it should have been done earlier. We we have seen a rise in the last week or two of cases, hospitalizations uh, in the area. We still need a lot more testing, but um, I am glad we're ahead of most of Indiana in putting this mask order in place. And and uh, I think it should help us. We know it. We know it can help protect against the virus. So let's all comply with it. User Lipsha is asking, why did we need to hold up for months? And now that it's worse than ever before, we need to go back to work, to school, and to restaurants. Well, the stay-at-home order, if you will, to try to avoid non-essential trips and, and work was the initial outset of the infection. And it really did help flatten the curve, protect our healthcare workers compared to some places where we saw really tragic situations in hospitals and the healthcare system. It is a fair question to say, you know, that was a very strong stay-at-home order. Should we have released it at all? Um, and and I think the short answer is we still we still don't know the trajectory of this disease. There obviously are severe consequences to the the major shutdown of all institutions and schools and enterprises and and uh, workplaces. Uh, so it's a balance between doing what we need to do and should do to protect public health uh, and balancing that with the opportunity for people to make a living and kids to get educated and and institutions to uh, employ people. So I will say this, I do think the fact that we have not had a national strategy that has really been science-based and has coordinated decisions around the country on timing and on, on school openings and those kinds of things has made a, a big mess. And the fact that we don't have adequate testing, uh, in fact, we had national leaders, uh, I won't name names, encouraging rapid reopening and blaming people for being careful. And that was just a really atrocious uh, leadership uh, at the national level and locally and at states struggling to figure out what is the right pace. Uh, and it's an uncertain game. We, you know, we're playing laws of averages and balancing a lot of competing interests. Then the last question that we have for today is from WFHB, and we want to know, the city will implement parts of the next county health order before the county enacts the order. And these are specifically paragraphs 7, 8, and 9 of the order pertaining to gathering sizes and bar and restaurant seatings. Could you speak about these changes? Well, I really didn't see a reason to wait for two weeks to try to stop what are potential super spreader events. A number of weeks I've tried to encourage county health, and I'm pleased they've moved forward. Common sense steps that our health experts know can, can diminish the risk of transmission, and that includes masks, and it includes these potential super spreader events, which are large gatherings of people indoors for lengths of time and they move very quickly on the masks which i appreciate once the order was issued friday the mask order went into effect two hours later the county decided to wait for two more weeks to do the what i view as controlling super spreader events and i just didn't feel it was responsible to wait that long so in the city where i do have jurisdiction i chose to implement it we expect the order to go into effect thursday the 23rd at noon so again these are these are controlling bars, restaurants, uh, and other indoor events, particularly 
that are potential super spreader events where we've seen around the country you can get 50 people infected in one night or even 100 people and that just would be devastating to our community so we're putting that into effect to require particularly restaurants bars uh, to have only tabletop serving not to allow congregate you know dancing or uh, big gatherings that really are potential super spreader events and then it also covers private events uh, inside and outdoors to try to make sure if you're having a wedding or a reception or you're having a private party that you take the steps to protect all of us from that becoming a super spreader event and that's complicated and it's difficult to enforce but we're going to do the best we can we've done it over the summer and people just need to realize that if you get 25 or 40 people in a house without masks without distancing there's a real risk that one infected person could get most of the people there infected and that person may not even know they're infectious they may feel fine and that's just a big risk for our community i didn't want to we didn't want to wait uh, so we're moving forward on that more quickly do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines are written by Aaron Conforti, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. A Few Minutes with the Mayor was produced by Sydney Foreman. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sarah Vaughn. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.